Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Well, I don't remember the last time 3-10 and 10 felt so good. This is Al Sacco and Zay Nockby here with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And the 49ers, you know, a team that lost their first nine games, could look at it that way. But now this is a team that's won three of its last four. And Zane, this is a completely different vibe around this team right now. We got a winning streak. We got a two-game winning streak. And, it, and it's not much, but it's the first time since Jim Harbaugh was here that the 49ers have even had more than a one game winning streak. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's looking up for the 49ers and I'm pretty stoked. Actually, Al, I'm pretty stoked about the future and what Jimmy Garoppolo and the defense and, and the rest of the team has shown with limited talent on the field. And I think what you saw earlier this year, which was so frustrating is you had a rebuilding team, but it was kind of like, what are they rebuilding around? You had a couple pieces on defense, but the offense just looked lost and and it seemed like there was nothing really to look forward to this season and everything was like well well, who are they going to get in the offseason who's the quarterback going to be in this trade for Garoppolo which it's only been two starts but it certainly looks like it's just a home run for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and it's it's put new life in this team and now you're building around this franchise quarterback and that's the huge thing moving forward. And he's looked every bit of the franchise quarterback. And there's been other great performances, but it's hard not to put all of the attention on him because of the way he looks on the field and because because of what he's done for this team. So we're going to spend a lot of time on on that today. Um, I also want to hit on some other topics around the NFL. Zane, I want to talk about the end of the Seahawks-Jags game. Um, I want to touch on Carson Wentz and the injuries that we've seen this year as well as going through with the Niners and, and, and what we see for the final three games of the season. But before we do listen, we've kind of pri- we kind of pride ourselves on the show in that when we started it, we wanted our guests to be, we wanted players, we wanted media people, we wanted our guests to be, a, you know, a wide variety of football guests. I feel like we've been doing that and, and today's no different and, and we're, we're really happy to have on um, the voice of the 49ers, Ted Robinson, who joined us and he, um, Ted's been calling the game since 2009 on the radio, and we got to speak to him about his career and how he got the job with the Niners and, and um, what he thought of the transition from Balky to John Lynch and, and what he sees of Jimmy Garoppolo and the future of the team. And it, it was a great interview, and I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. And here is Ted. Smith in a gun with Gore on his left hip. Third down, Alex takes the snap. Alex looking. Got it. Post, and it's got him. Oh, touchdown. As the play-by-play man, he is the voice of the San Francisco 49ers. Please welcome to the show the one and only Ted Robinson. Ted, how are you? Well, it's uh, a lot more fun talking to you, Alan Zane, now after a couple of wins. I mean, it's astonishing what two weeks and a quarterback can do for everybody's psyche. But uh, I I said it on the air Sunday and riding to the airport with the team in Houston Sunday, guys, I have never in my life been around a 3-10 and team where the vibe is as, you know, what's the proper word, upbeat as it is with this 49er team. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy how much the vibe has changed just going from, you know, not winning a game to winning three of your last four. And definitely um, the common denominator, I think it's Jimmy Garoppolo's arrival is really what's, you know, changed the whole thing. So it is amazing. And, and we'll get into that. Um, but Ted, before we do, I want to see if you could tell the listeners a little bit about how you got started in broadcasting and how you ultimately ended up with the 49ers. Well, uh, I've been doing it for a long time, longer than I care to think about. And uh, it was a simple result of wanting to play and probably recognizing in high school that uh, playing beyond that wasn't going to be in the cards for me. And then I had a, a broken leg, a pretty significant broken leg uh, in a football fool around session, believe it or not, during high school, which accelerated the decision making. So I went to college to broadcast. I knew I was I was single minded, guys. I was uh, I was no different than an athlete, quite frankly. I went to school knowing what I wanted to do for a living, and college was a vocational school for me. I worked diligently and uh, pretty relentlessly, I think, uh, at pursuing this. And so it is uh, it's what I've done. It's what I've always done, and thank God I never needed Plan B. Curious what the interview process was like for the 49ers job, Ted. What sort of things were you asked to do, and who did you meet with when you actually went to interview for that job? Well, I'll be asked, the good part on the 49ers situation was um, it was 2009, so I was already, I had already turned 50, and I had a fairly, I guess, uh, you know, substantial body of work that the people in charge were aware of, a lot of it in the Bay Area. So there wasn't much of a process, quite honestly. It was uh, a couple of phone calls and about a three-minute negotiation. And I said, heck, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and I, I had been involved with radio broadcast back in the 80s when they were, uh, when the team was on KCBS. So I knew well what an honor the job was. And again, when you get to a certain point, I'm assuming that actors and actresses and musicians maybe have the same thing. Once you get to a certain point, you've established who you are and what you do, and the concept of blind auditions or things like that just kind of go away. So for me, uh, I didn't have to do anything other than answer the phone. Um, You know, they knew me, I knew them, and we had a couple of really positive conversations, and it was done very fast. And Ted, you mentioned you've been calling Niners games since 2009, and with that, you've seen some good times and bad times. Are there any moments that kind of stick out in your mind, any signature calls that you have? And I, I can think a couple right off the top of my head, but I want to see what you have to say about that. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, look, the, the, the best one, without question, is the Vernon Post. I mean, that's the one that will live, and it, it's the one that, that, to me, hammered home the importance of radio uh, guys and and you know we we all understand and even i did when i took this job that most everybody watches the games on television and the vernon post play and the game was what made me realize what i I guess i sort of knew but didn't acknowledge was that the history of the game lives on through the radio calls not the television calls i don't think there's a 49er fan on earth who could tell you today who called the vernon post catch on television and that's that's the point. So um, once I recognized that after that game, I, I think I had a much greater appreciation for the long-term significance of this. Uh, the, the disappointment, obviously, in I think the disappointment in the in the Seattle championship game was greater than the Super Bowl, believe it or not, because we're all so floored by how poorly the 49ers played in the first half of the Super Bowl. We just couldn't believe at a team that was clearly better than Baltimore, but just, just didn't play well and right. dug themselves a ridiculously 
deep hole. Came close to getting out of it, but that game you never felt. The Seattle championship game, because I thought the 49ers were going to win that game for three quarters. Um, they, they played the game you needed to play to win up there. Kaepernick played easily his best game. He did not play very well in his career against Seattle, but that was the best game he played against them until the fourth quarter. And uh, forever in my mind, I'll be haunted by the third and 80 or whatever it was, and they threw one pass that got them half the yardage they needed, and then they threw the fourth down touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse against Carlos Rogers, and that's the one, more than the end of the game, that's the one that, to me, I always remember as the backbreaker. And I'll tell you what else, guys, another one I remember is my first season, 2009, in Seattle. Now, of course, this was Singletary coaching against Jim Mora, so it was you know, way before the present eras. Uh, and the 49ers were a better team. Seattle was not very good that year. And the 49ers started the game winning. It got the lead, and Seattle has to punt in the second quarter. And for some reason that to this day still defies any rational explanation, the 49ers thought they'd run a reverse on the punt return. And I forget who Juanez Battle was involved in. I forget who the other player was. But, of course, they muffed the pitch on this reverse on the return. Seattle recovered goes in to score a touchdown, flips the momentum of the game, and it was just mind-boggling because you called that play at a point in the game where you were in, you know, first half, but you were still in control. You were established you were the best team, and it, it just completely defied any any rational explanation to me. So that was one of the few times in my career I lost it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say 2011 was probably the hardest for me because that team came out of nowhere and they were that upstart team. And I thought they were better than giants and I thought they would have beat the Patriots. And those fumbles were that, that that was probably the toughest for me out of this run. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, there's another call and Zane that you said that because in that game, the other call that I will always live in that to me, I, I just thought it was phenomenal was in overtime when Justin Smith sacked Eli Manning and it was on third down and it forced a punt which now meant that the 49ers were going to get the ball needing only a field goal to win. And remember, that 2011 team yep. was about field goals. There weren't a whole lot of touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But the defense did its job. Justin Saxon, which was just you know the last play of what was a magnificent season for him. And, of course, now we know what happened on the punt. <laughs> and, right. you know, disaster. So that, that moment when, he, when Justin Smith sacked Manning, I thought we were going to the Super Bowl. I really thought that and the next year in Atlanta of course was another one of those games where the 49ers dug a big hole and I never felt confident in that game until Navarro Bowman broke up the fourth down pass to Roddy White that one that moment was the first time I exhaled in the in the Giants championship game when Justin made that sack I thought okay to myself we're gonna go to the Super Bowl now Ted what's the culture change been like from the Trent Baalke regime as things have transitioned to John Lynch well, well, it's been it's been phenomenal, guys. I mean, look, it's been night and day, and you know, I think I think a lot of fans know this. I certainly have said it that this is the best vibe to me since the first year. And I'm sorry, they're starting a little PA system here in Colorado. So I'm going to walk up top, but uh, this is the best vibe that I have felt on a 49er team since the 2011 season when. Harbaugh first got here, and he and Balky worked together well that first year. And then over time, things slowly deteriorated to where we all know how it blew up for Harbaugh at the end of 2014 and then Balky at the end of last year. But you, 
right now you just have a situation where Kyle and John are working together. They're collaborative. And guys, I'm telling you, it bleeds into every aspect of the building. And it's something I lived for a long time in baseball. And I didn't totally understand it in football until I saw this year where the trainers, the medical staff, the equipment men, PR staff, the marketing staff, all the way through the players, they get it when the front office is working together. And even if they don't agree with the decision, and there have been a couple this year that have been pretty startling, Bowman being right at the top of the list, they get that they're together on it, and it's rooted in what the organization, in this case, Lynch and Shanahan, believe is best for the team. So it goes back to what I said at the beginning. I mean, even at... For most of the 0-8 start, for most of it, this was a pretty together team. I think the plane flight home from Philadelphia was the low mark. That was, that was, that flight felt like it was 10 hours long, and the game was miserable, the injuries were miserable. Uh, that, was the, that was the low point. And 24 hours later, Garoppolo is in San Francisco. So I've, mm-hmm. I've joked with Shanahan and Lynch, they will look back someday, and they will, will remember those 24 hours as what turned this thing. Because it was, I mean, that, that Philadelphia game, as you, you all know, when you're watching backup guards playing tackle and C.J. Beathard was just punished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, where it was the first time in my 49er career I was concerned for the health of the quarterback. I, I just, <laughs> the, the feeding he was taking in that game was really was merciless. And, uh, and 24 hours later to have Garoppolo come in, and, you know, that just, it just, it was the accelerant to the rebuild, right? We all have known this is a rebuild, and everybody's been patient. It's going to take time. Six-year contracts allow you to, to view it that way. But Garoppolo was kind of when you're trying to start the fire on your grill, and you have to squirt a little extra juice on the coals to get the fire going. That's what Garoppolo was. And I got to ask, what, what was the team flight back? Uh, what was that flight like back from Chicago after Jimmy won that game? Or the 49ers won that game, but after Jimmy performed so well that day? Yeah, uh, actually, I wasn't on that one. I stayed in Chicago uh, with family and friends, so I, I don't, I can't speak to that one. But I can just tell you the the attitude around. I mean, just going up to the airport in Houston the other night uh, was it's just it's just all different. I, I I've seen some players in the last couple of weeks at events outside of the facility, some uh, charity events, and I mean, I've had a couple of them say the same thing to me. Like they just can't believe what a what a difference it is, and and Look, the quarterback, you know, as, as is often said, too much credit, too much blame. We all get that. It's still the most important position on the field. And it's, it's the spearhead for everything. You have to be an awfully, awfully good team to win without a top-tier quarterback. And as, and as much as we love Alex, that's what the 2011 49ers did, right? Alex wasn't an elite quarterback. He played well, but not at the top tier. But the rest of the team was around him was just brilliant. And that's what... This team hasn't had. Well, Garoppolo now gives them hope that they don't need to be that way, that they don't need to have a super defense and a super special teams play in order to win. That, that attitude to me is, is the first time I felt it around here. Um, I guess we felt it, if I have to say, for the 10 games of Kaepernick in 2012. We probably felt it for those 10 games where you had a quarterback that looked like he was going to end up being top tier. And, of course, that didn't happen. But for those 10 games, you sure thought it was. And I guess that's probably the only other time I've, I've seen that feeling around the 49ers in my nine years. And you mentioned earlier that this was a 3-10 a and 10 team that, that had a lot of excitement surrounding it. 
what's kind of been your overall impression of this 2017 season? Are the 49ers what are they what the record says they are, or are they much better than that three and ten record? <laughs> well, that yeah, I love it. I mean, that's a great Parcells line that I happen to subscribe to, and I think that's what's great about pro football is that um, there are no excuses. There should not be finger pointing, and your record defines you, and that's what the 49ers are. Now, we, I, I mean, now, now we can sit there, and all of us that care about the 49ers and watch it carefully and closely can sit there and say, and I said it on the air, the, the, the game at Arizona was, was, to me, was a shame. That was shameful, because had there been a respectable quarterback play in that game, the 49ers would have won. They, I don't think Arizona's that good a team. I think they've proven it. And the 49ers in the game in Arizona were the better team. They just, the quarterback play that day just wasn't good enough. Um, and then the game in Washington, they had a heck of a chance to steal a win there. And the officials made a horrendous call that, that denied the 49ers a chance, as was the case in the Thursday night Rams game. You know, so you start looking around saying, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're close to having maybe five or six at this time of the year, but that doesn't, it just doesn't matter. I think, what we've seen with our eyeballs guys the last two weeks is that for the first time, probably since the 10 games of Kaepernick in 2012 for two straight weeks, this team has moved the ball consistently throughout the game. I mean, mm-hmm. not going three and out, three and out, three and out. And you know, having an entire half where the offense does nothing. I mean, you're, you're getting fairly consistent. The start of the game in, in Houston, the first quarter was a little rugged, but beyond that, Every time this team takes the ball, they believe now they can get some first downs and potentially score points. And that's been what I think fans are thirsting for that. I sure have been. So it's been phenomenal to see just how the offense has come to life and that all of the things that we saw Kyle Shanahan run in Washington and then in Atlanta last year, admittedly with a strong cast of players. But now you see how with a better cast in San Francisco, how that works. You see the schemes. You see the receivers getting like very open. And in the Chicago game, the ability to run after the catch for Trent Taylor because the quarterback is throwing the ball at the right time to the right place. Uh, those are the things that we, you know, we just all watching the 49ers have, have fairly well known that it's been missing. The last two weeks, it's come back in a big way. And we've talked a little bit about what Jimmy Garoppolo has done in this small sample size. Now, as far as what the future holds, Ted, is he a decade late long answer for the 49ers at quarterback? Well, I think he's going to be, yeah. I mean, unless there's a catastrophe that none of us could foresee. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is, I mean, it's just been, it's been too long. It's been too many. Well, I, I, I'm a believer that, and I think the people involved now recognize it in hindsight, but the 49ers ignored the quarterback position uh, for a while mm-hmm. in the hopes of building up other parts of the team. And they went too many years without developing a quarterback. And I thought last year was a real 2016 was just absolutely, uh, again, I was just, I was, I was just completely puzzled that you're going through a season that was as bad as last year was. And your quarterback on your practice squad is Christian Ponder. I mean, that's just, to me, was mind-blowing. I mean, how do you not have a young quarterback that you're hoping can, can groom and become something as, you know, Nick Mullins, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but at least this year there's a guy that you're going to see, see if he grows and matures over a year or two. And last year, of course, they drafted Jeff Driscoll and played him in preseason and then cut him. And that's why you, wait a minute, what? 
I, the, the thought process there escaped me completely because uh, we were just were not in a position as a franchise to be ignoring young quarterbacks. So now with Garoppolo and Beathard, I, I guys, to me, this is absolutely the best position this franchise has been in with two quarterbacks since 2011, Smith and Kaepernick. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain of the fact that, uh, that when Harbaugh was the coach here, he was not interested in having a, a you know, a, a backup that, or drafting a guy that you're going to develop. He was not interested in doing a Brett Hundley apprenticeship deal or Garoppolo for that matter with behind Brady, which is why you went Colt McCoy, Blaine Gabbert as your backups. You had no, there was no perception of any challenge at all to Kaepernick's position. And that's the start of where this franchise went in terms of just kind of uh, overlooking the quarterback position for too long. Well, now they have addressed it in a big way in the first year with, again, two guys. And I think C.J. Beathard has established himself that he has every chance to be a long-term player, whatever role it is, as quarterback with this franchise as well as Garoppolo. And, Ted, you kind of mentioned some of these guys that they brought in to help rebuild this roster. Who are some of the other players on this, on this team that can be part of that, that future as building blocks? Well, I think the guy that's first guy that jumps to my mind that's flashed, and I think everyone has noticed this now in just a couple of weeks, is Adrian Colbert. That that has a chance to be a significant move here because the 49ers came to the season feeling awfully deep at the safety position with Reed, Tart, and Ward. Well, now two of those three have been, you know, are not going to play a full season. You have some contract decisions to make, and suddenly here's a, a rookie that's come in and shown he can play. And I fairly certain that the uh, the belief upstairs so to speak is that that's this is not a fluke this guy can play so that i think is the first one that jumps to my mind i think the the receiver position is going to look better because of garoppolo it already has but i will say that the other player that has defied i think a lot of the preconceived notions is goodwin i mean goodwin came in and look we saw tory smith here for two years and uh tory smith you know didn't wasn't very productive here now i sure that he would feel that the quarterback play wasn't very good. That was a big reason, but he never showed the ability to really run other routes. It was, he was the deep threat, the go route guy. And that was it. Well, Goodwin's running other stuff and he's doing well. He's catching the ball. He had drops early, but he seems to have uh, pushed, pushed that one away. And that's been a nice development. And I think that is a measure of a coaching staff. And that, if you think back guys, as you follow this passionately, in recent years, how many players have the 49ers brought in from other organizations and made better here? I can't think of too many. So here's Goodwin, who has a chance to be that way, that a guy that you know didn't work for him in his first stop, he comes here, and now this staff is going to get a little bit more out of him. And that's really, to me, that's how you measure, but it's one of the big measures, I should say, for a coaching staff. Um, and then you know, you, you, the other thing that you take advantage of this year is, for example, Sheldon Day. You pick up a guy off waivers, he's a pretty good player. In Sheldon Day, again, just a couple of weeks, but looks like maybe a guy that has a place here that, that might be somebody you go forward with because he was a, a talented guy that got caught apparently in numbers um, in Jacksonville. So those are the kind of guys, I mean, I'm not sure if any, there's any, you know, the, um, uh, what's a, I'm looking at, you know, the Darrell Williams on the offensive line, the uh, McCoyle, the big safeties playing on special teams. You know, there, there are six or eight guys like that. I'm not sure yet if any of those you would say are players you really are going to use as long-term answers. But I think those first two guys I mentioned are. And Ted, before we let you go, I got to say that in the off season, when I, when I hear you calling like the Olympics or a tennis match or a baseball game, 
when I hear your voice, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my guy there. Right. Like that's, you know, it just, um, it gets me excited for football season to hear you on the radio. So what do you got planned for 2018? Are you going to, are you going to be at the, at the winter Olympics at all? Yeah, yeah, guys, I was just, uh, in fact, I'm in Boulder, Colorado, as I'm speaking to you, and I just landed from New York. I had Olympic meetings uh, yesterday, so I had to fly from Houston to New York for those, and uh, I'll be going to Korea, and I'll be gone most of February there, hopefully safe. I'm assured that we will be, but <laughs> I've got my fingers a little more tightly crossed than prior Olympics for that, um, and uh, and, I, and I still, the first six months of the year, i, I gravitating more to do a little bit more tennis, which has been a sport I've been involved with for 30 years. And it, quite honestly, the old Saturday Night Live tennis has been very, very good to me. So I think, um, you know, I, I don't work tennis during the football season, obviously, but uh, from January through July, uh, when there's very little football work at hand, that's when I'll probably do a lot more tennis. All right, Ted, we can't thank you enough for the time today. And hey, let's do this again soon. This was a lot of fun. Well, it's my pleasure, guys, and thanks for uh, thanks for serving the fans so well. And and uh, I'll tell you this: I've been astounded going back to draft night when there was like eleven or twelve thousand at Levi's, and then the open scrimmage, twenty something thousand for a team coming off the kind of years this team had. It gives you a, a real refreshing reminder of how great the fan base is. So, thank you guys very much for your job and helping serve them. Okay, we appreciate thanks, that. Thank you, Ted. Okay, guys, good visiting with you. And thank you so much again to Ted Robinson for joining us. And I'll, I, the familiarity when I, and, and I mentioned the, the different sports that he calls and the familiarity of his voice gets me really pumped up for 49er games. So when's it, when it's like the off season or when it's the Olympics and I hear Ted Robinson calling an event, I'm like, man, I can't wait to hear him go touchdown 49er. You know, he's his signature touchdown yeah. 49ers call. Like, I can't wait to hear that. So a uh, huge thanks to, to Ted again for joining us. Especially now that the Niners actually score touchdowns. <laughs> it's, nice to, it's nice to hear that call. So it seems to. Zane, I want to throw something out at you um, about the passing attack. Now, as we know, and as we've talked about through countless shows, how bad the 49ers have been at throwing the football for years and years and years. And, you know, it's been 15 years, like from Jeff Garcia, like we said, since they've had a good passer. Um, and it appears that they do now in Jimmy Garoppolo. In the last two games, the 49ers have had 278-plus total passing yards. Now, what total passing yards are, it's not just what your quarterback throws for. Total passing yards are include um, sack yards, yards taken out for sacks. So if you throw for 320 yards and you're sacked for minus 20 yards, your total passing yards is 300 yards, basically. So the past two games, the 49ers have 278-plus total passing yards. Um in the last time San Francisco actually achieved that in back-to-back games, you'd have to go back to weeks 11 and 12 of 2002. Wow. That's how long it's been since we've seen as prolific a passing attack as we have in the last two games. So what Garoppolo is doing is no small feat. We haven't seen this since 2002 in a 49ers uniform. So people can say what they want to. Oh, you know, he's got two touchdowns, two interceptions, and well, you know, they only had 50 points first. He's doing things we haven't seen a 49er quarterback do in, in, in years in terms of numbers. And he's moving an offense consistent, consistently like we haven't seen in years with a supporting cast that leaves a lot to be desired. And it's you don't want to keep going on Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy show after show. But right now he is the story and he is single-handedly changing the vibe of this franchise. And it's it's unbelievable to think where the 49ers are now versus where they were just a few weeks ago. There was a player who was, obviously this was anonymous, but there's a player who was quoted as saying that this is Jimmy's team now. 
I saw like, that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he's, he's pretty much got the buy-in from the rest of the squad, which is, which is huge. And he's only been here just over a month. So the, the play on the field and I'm sure what they see off the field speaks volumes. And, and these are intelligent, you know, these are intelligent guys that are, that are not just going to follow some guy just cause he's from the new England Patriots. No, it's, it's about the work ethic and it's about, what he puts in and it's what about it's about what he brings to the team and everybody sees that the, the guys on the team see it the most so i'm not surprised to hear that at all and when it comes down to his actual play uh, al he passes the eye test in every single way possible it's much different because people compare this situation to the, the whole kaepernick thing that happened when alex smith went down there's really no comparison because the difference was that colin kaepernick was bigger and faster than everybody he would run he would run through people and by people. It wasn't like he was dissecting defenses and, and uh, right. making precision throws and things like that. He was, he was doing what he did best, which is, which is be an athlete. But if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and I highly encourage anybody out there, if you've got access to the All-22, which is the, the, pretty much the coach's film, NFL.com, uh, they, they let people have it for a small, a small fee. But if anybody has a chance to get access to the All-22, I highly recommend it because you can actually see Jimmy Garoppolo breaking down a defense and going from his first read, second read, third read to the fourth read. And it's not like it was with Kaepernick because Kaepernick would just go, go with his first read and throw it. Jimmy's actually looking at the defense and reading it. He, he knows where to go with the ball, even the interception that he threw. Yes, it was an errant pass, but the read was correct. Trent Taylor was open on that play. The, the, the throw was a little bit errant, but he, he made the right read. So, I'm not so concerned with the stats because like you said, the supporting cast just isn't quite ready yet. I'm more concerned with how he's playing. And, and one thing I want to point out out is on the touchdown pass to Selick. If you notice that play, they've tried to run that play several times this year already with CJ Beathard with the, it's a little half naked, uh, half, half bootleg um, that out to the left with no blocker in front of you. And CJ, every time he, he hasn't been able to complete it once. I don't think he's, ever completed that that particular play so they eventually stopped running it but Jimmy Garoppolo got the proper depth on that play he was able to get rid of the ball quickly spotted Selleck early through to a spot that Selleck was going to be to be be at and was able to complete that for a touchdown and that's kind of textbook of how you want that play run so it seems like Kyle Shanahan is also getting more comfortable too with with every passing week and opening up more of that playbook you know one thing I was kind of losing my patience with is Everybody's saying, well, oh, God, you know, the quarterback can't do anything because the O-line stinks anyway. And I feel like I've been hearing that for years as an excuse for quarterback play. Well, the O-line stinks. What's he going to do? Well, how many years have you seen elite quarterbacks make up for a bad O-line with mm-hmm. quick decisions, with moving around in the pocket, with knowing where, where the pressure's coming from? Good quarterbacks do that. And we heard the excuses, oh, well, if you put Garoppolo in, he's going to get killed. Well, you know what? There was a lot of pressure against the Texans. The Texans are putting a lot of pressure on him. Zane Beatles got destroyed and Clowney was all over Garoppolo and he still moved the ball. He still put up points. Mm -hmm. So obviously you need to block. Obviously you can't be getting creamed every single time, but I I just feel like there was always this, the line took a lot of heat and the line didn't always play well. and, And they haven't always played well this year, but the quarterback play that we've seen on this team made the line look a lot worse than it is withholding the ball with not moving well in the pocket. A lot of people for as much as they want to defend Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick had awful pocket presence, awful, mm-hmm. really bad. And Brian Hoyer sat back there and patted the ball and CJ Beathard 
held on to the ball too long. And CJ Beathard ran into a ton of sacks. So you're seeing that now with Garoppolo where, yeah, there's still pressure. Yeah, Lake and Tomlinson still struggling. Yeah, the interior of the O-line is still struggling. Zane Beatles played right tackle against Jadavian Clowney last week and got mm. destroyed. And the Niners still scored, what, five times? Six six times, whatever it was. Um, so good quarterbacks can make up for this. And I'm starting to wonder with Garoppolo, and listen, I'm not comparing him to Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer. I'm not, I'm not making that comparison yet. But I do wonder if it's an Aaron Rodgers situation, and this is what I mean by that. I thought when Garoppolo came in, it was going to be more of a young quarterback situation where he comes in and, okay, there's going to be growing pains and it's going to look really ugly sometimes. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's a situation where here's a guy who sat and learned under Tom Brady, you know, learned for, for two, three years, whatever it was, how to play quarterback in the NFL. And then when he got his turn, he came in and he's ready to perform it at a high level like Aaron Rodgers did. Now I'm not saying Grapple is going to end up being Aaron Rodgers, but it just reminds me of the similar situation in green Bay. When Rodgers came in there, he looked like a good quarterback right away. You're like, Oh, this guy can play. And I feel like it's the same thing with Garoppolo. You look at him and you say now, okay, well, oh, okay. You know, this, this guy can play. Look, he's elevating the play of the people around him. He's making it better, better for the players around him. Niners are in a fantastic situation right now. And one that I couldn't dream that they were going to be in. Like I said, just a few weeks ago. We were talking about 016 a few weeks ago. and Yeah, we were, right? We yeah. were like, oh, where are they going to get a win? Now yeah. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking they can win four, maybe five games. Really, yeah, we're really talking, yeah, we're talking maybe maybe six and ten if they win out. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. I feel like Tennessee is not, uh, not that great of a team right now. They're not as good as their record shows. They've been struggling. They lost to Arizona 12-7 in Arizona. So Marcus Mar- Mariota is really struggling. And Jacksonville is kind of the wild card there. And then you have the Rams who may be resting people because they may have the division locked up. So really, Al, it looks like they, it looks like they have an outside shot at six and 10, which I never would have thought this season. But you bring up an interesting point about how we look at evaluating quarterbacks and, and how we look at the situation that Jimmy Garoppolo stepped into. Like people, people want to say that this is a, a small sample size and they want to say that they want, they want to see more from Jimmy Garoppolo and, and they want to see him produce at a high level for several weeks or half a season or yada, yada, yada. But what my counter argument to them is how big of a sample size do you really need? This guy did all of this in, in new England. He did all of this when he was in college and now he's doing it again in, in San Francisco. Like he's it, wherever he goes, he wins and wherever he goes, he plays well. And to me, Al, I don't really need to see like when you, when, when a person goes, when, when I was getting married, like we went cake shopping, right? Like we went to, to try cakes out and stuff, right? We didn't try the whole cake. We would go take samples of cakes and stuff like that, right? You don't, you don't need to t- take the whole damn cake to find out what it tastes like. So it's right. the same thing. That's, I feel that same way about Jimmy Garoppolo. You don't need a, a, an entire three-season sample size. If you have a small sample size, and if he passes all of those eye tests, if, he's, if his fundamentals are strong, that's all you need. Think about it. This, don't they do the same thing with guys who come out of college after, after one year of starting? It's, it's the same exact thing, except it's probably even worse in college because you're looking at a guy who's like a rookie quarterback who's never played in the NFL at all. Jimmy Garoppolo has been in the league for four years. He has part of that, that Super Bowl trophy that New England won last year. That's partly his. He won two games when Tom Brady was out. So the whole, the whole thing about wanting to see more, more of a sample size, like people are going to see it by default because it's going to start the rest of the season. But to me, I don't need to see that much more to, to realize that the guy's a winner. Two weeks ago, I said, before he, he made his first start, I said that 
the real test will be, can he elevate this cast of people that he's with to be able to win a few games here? And that's exactly what he's done. He's taken the same players that the 49ers have had all season, minus a few bodies, mind you, because there are more guys on IR. And he's basically elevated the play of the entire offense. And the defense has been feeding off of it too. So that's all I need to see, Al. I think that they've got to lock him up long-term. They've got to they, don't mess around with the franchise tag, give him a long-term deal, and, and just make him a 49er for life. You know, that, that game was going in a very familiar direction. The offense was struggling early on. They sloppy play. Mm-hmm. The defense was hanging in there, but you could tell, you know, the Texans are moving the ball a little bit and that sort of thing. And then it all turned around. And it all turned around because of the play of the quarterback. And that's what, what this team hasn't had. And, and I agree with you. You know, you, you hoped when they put him in, you say, oh, hopefully he could win a game or two. Well, he's already won two games. And now they're actually favored against Tennessee. <laughs> From what yeah. I saw, they're, I think they're, they're favored against an 8-5 and five team. They're 3-10. and 10. First time so, all year. First time all year they've what, been a favorite. What does that tell you? Vegas knows what they're doing. You know, what, what, what does that tell you right now? It's, it's, a, it's a different team. And I'm not trying to sound like a homer. Like you said, it, it all passes the eyeball test. And now they go into the offseason and they start putting different pieces in place. Maybe they get a Quentin Nelson in the first round at guard um, because their draft you know, selection is going to be lower now. So it's not like you're taking a guard at two anymore if, if they are picking you know, in, in the six or seven or something like that. So you fill in the interior of the offensive line. You get another receiver. Maybe you get another running back and if, if Hyde doesn't come back. And, and all of a sudden, you got some really nice pieces around Garoppolo. And, and the Niners are going to be everybody's, if, if they continue on this trend, they're going to be everybody's hot pick next year to turn it around. Mm. And, you know, do I know if they can win 10 games next year? Well, look, if, if Garoppolo was starting all year this, this season, how many wins would they have? Right. They might have like six or seven, right? I mean, they really might. Mm-hmm. So maybe if everybody stays healthy next year, you know, maybe this team can complete compete for a playoff spot and there's also what we're seeing now is is guys are starting to step up that we weren't so sure were going to be pieces early in the season and and they're growing into the offense and they're growing into the system or they're growing into the defense adrian colbert um pro football focus was checking the grades out today colbert's grade for the season is 80.3 which is which is which is very good mm-hmm. jimmy ward's grade for the season before he got hurt was 46.9 so you have to wonder if Colbert is going to be the leader to start for that free safety position next year. Marquise Goodwin, who we've talked about at length on the show, has another big game um, on pace for an a thousand, for a thousand yard season. He's only 27. Now all of a sudden it looks like a guy who maybe a month or two ago, we're like, ah, he may not even be on the team next year. Now it looks like he's going to be a huge part of the offense moving forward. He's grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, Matt Breed is getting valuable playing time. Garrett Selleck. Great game. 61-yard reception, he scores the touchdown. Again, he's, he's got a real quarterback throwing to him. Maybe Garrett Selleck's an answer. You know, there's all these little things popping up now that you're saying, oh, you know what, maybe this guy, maybe this guy. Um, and right now, you know, going into 2018, can't get here fast enough. <laughs> it, it really can't <laughs> um, with the way this team's headed. And again, not to sound like a homer, but everything is passing the eye test right now. And if the Niners finish the season, I'm not saying they're going to win the next three games because they're tough. The Rams are tough. Jaguars are very tough in, in Tennessee's an eight and five team, although I don't know that they're as good as their record. So if the Niners even get one of these next three, four and twelve is is pretty great when you start out at 0 9. If the 49ers win out and the Raiders lose out, both of them are six and ten. That's crazy to think. That's yeah. crazy. And 
there and the, the the debate has started here in the Bay Area, obviously, with Derek Carr regressing a little bit and Jimmy Garoppolo being here. And there, people are starting to question. They're like, which quarterback would you rather have? Which is, in my opinion, it's premature, but it's kind of interesting that before the season, I, I never would have thought that that would, be, that would even be a discussion or a thing. And now all of a sudden it's turned into a thing because of one player. And really, I think that... Like you said, the, the fact that he's, when you have a competent quarterback, and, and CJ Beathard is a competent quarterback, he's just a rookie though, right? You can't expect too much out of, out of a rookie uh, and, at any level, at any position. So uh, it's not a knock on him, but Jimmy Garoppolo is, is kind of another, another sort of situation. And when you have a guy like that, it, it, you're able to use plays that you may not have been using before, and you're able to scheme things differently because you're, you have the confidence that he can make all the throws. Like he's finding Kyle Juszczyk on uh, out in the flat, and he's he's hitting Garrett Selleck over the middle. Marquise Goodwin is averaging almost twenty yards a catch. Jimmy Garoppolo actually, I know it's again it's small sample size, but Jimmy Garoppolo over the last two games, uh, over his starts, he actually leads the league in yards per attempt, and it's it's by like half a yard that he's leading the league. So it's not even close. And all of those things put together, it 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 makes the 49ers a more attractive destination because when you're a receiver out there like and and there won't be i doubt that the big receivers the big name receivers will be out there there's obviously alshon jeffrey got re-signed with the eagles but you have you've got like alan robinson and and uh josh gordon and martavis bryant and these guys like second tier guys that are available but are still kind of playmakers it's more attractive to guys like that who are who are looking to to have a change of scenery when you have a franchise quarterback and it's it's a good situation for everybody because that's that's the most important position in sports, in my opinion. And you have that settled right now with Jimmy Garoppolo. And it allows him to kind of focus on other on other positions of need. And as the season goes on, things like things that you may not have thought of, like running back is kind of an open competition. Matt Breda got almost just as many carries as Carlos Hyde did. Carlos Hyde had over 70 mm-hmm. yards. But it's interesting to see them splitting time, especially after Carlos Hyde dropped that for like that that pass out to Carlos Hyde that he that it was pretty much right in his hands. That's a that's a sure touchdown yeah. that he dropped. And if you're in a contract here, you can't be doing that. I don't see any way that he's bad unless there's not a big market for running backs and he comes back cheap. I, I just don't see them. He's a good player. To me, he reminds me every week that hey, Carlos Hyde's a good player, but he's in no way a great player. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like every week, I feel like he doesn't really like. Yeah, he's he's a good player, but he's not he's not that next level running back. He, he's not. And, and, and with the way the league is set up, you're not going to pay a running back unless he's stud, mm-hmm. you know, unless he's, you know, LaShawn McCoy, top of the league type running back. I, I just don't think that's high. I think Hyde's a good player, but there's, there's a lot of good running backs out there. And this is a deep running back class. I, I just don't see that there's any way that he, that he's back barring. There's no market. I'll, I'll sign back with you guys for cheap. Yeah, it it's an interesting it's an interesting scenario because he's he hasn't really played terribly, but he hasn't really distinguished himself. And right. Joe Williams he's is good, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, he's he's he played he's played well. But you know, if here's 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 a list of some of the potential free agent running backs next year. Uh, I believe Le'Veon Bell signed signed a deal, right? So I don't think he's he's a free agent. No, any I don't know. Okay, so we'll 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 stick him back in. We'll stick him uh, aside for a second. We'll put him aside. But okay. there's there's Darren Sproles. Eddie Lacy, Shane Vereen, Frank Gore, man, in the snow, 36 carries for 130 yards. 
fantastic. That was that was a, a great, great game for Indianapolis there, for, for those of you who didn't see it. Rex Burkhead, Isaiah Crowell, Jamal Charles, Damian Williams, Terrence West, Alfred Morris, Lance Dunbar, Deion Lewis, LeGarrette Blunt. So it's quite possible that Carlos Hyde could be the best name out of this out of this running back class, and there's going to be a bidding more for him. And I don't think it's a it's a it's a battle that the 49ers are wanting to get into, especially with the the emergence of Matt Breida and Joe Williams on IR. We don't know what, what we're going to get out of him. So this could very well be Carlos Hyde's last few games in the 49ers uniform. Yeah, I just I just don't see them paying committing years and in, in dollars to, to the running back position. I I, I just don't. And the more Breida gets touches, you know, they're, they're obviously seeing what he can do for next year, how much of the load he can carry. And probably what will happen next year is it'll end up being a committee type thing. I mean, Cal Shanahan likes to throw the ball anyway, you know, and, um, you know, maybe this, this team would be built more around passing if, if Garoppolo continues on this trend. But yeah, Hyde, oh, just, just, just don't know about that one. And again, nothing against him. Perfectly fine player. It's just more of a circumstance type thing with that. So, um, one thing that I, I mentioned earlier I wanted to touch on was the thing with the Seahawks and the Jaguars. I'm sure you saw the end of the game, and for oh. those who didn't, it, it, it got kind of ugly there at the end of the game, as things usually do when the Seahawks get beat up because mm-hmm. that's kind of what their players are like. So um, what you saw was you saw Michael Bennett, basically the play was over, and I believe it was the Jaguars center. Bennett basically just rolled over into his knee. And then I don't know what was said. I, I forget the defensive lineman's name. He He got an argument with fans. I don't know if, if what was said to him, I don't know if something was thrown at him. I read that someone threw something, but he's trying to climb up into the stands and security has to pull him out. And with the Seahawks and listen, I'm not bashing the Seahawks because I'm, I'm a 49ers guy. I don't care about the Seahawks. And the reason I don't care about the Seahawks is because if you look at the Niners, the Niners are like a storied franchise. They've been in six Super Bowls. They've won five Super Bowls. The Seahawks have had a nice little run. They won a Super Bowl. When you look at historically, the Seahawks are just an also-ran franchise. I, I don't care about them at all. It's like being a Yankees fan, and people are like, do you hate the Red Sox? I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't care. Yankees have 27 championships. Red Sox can't touch them. Why would I care about this team? Yeah, I, I really feel that way. So I feel that way with the, about the Seahawks. So this isn't a thing where I'm attacking them because they're the 49ers rival or they were the 49ers rival or whatever. I'm attacking them because Pete Carroll's had success on the field guys in this team who just just act horribly who are basically you know sore losers for lack of a better term and nobody says anything to carol about that who throws who gives it to Pete carol about this who confronts him about this i feel like nobody because he wins games if the seahawks had a bad year they were six and ten five and eleven i'm sure the press would get on him but the press needs to get on him anyway when your players are acting like that when your players are rolling into other people's knees it's utterly ridiculous uh, yeah and it's kind of par for the course for the Seattle Seahawks. I, I lived up there for a couple of years and, and I've seen what their team does and it's what they do. You're talking about a team that the only team in NFL history to have a player kicked out of the Super Bowl. So, and this was after they, the game was decided and after they, they realized they were going to lose, they started fighting. So this is what they do. This is yep. what, this is their MO. It basically cheat until you get caught. And they're the most penalized team in the league this year for, I believe, three straight years have been the most penalized team. And, and it's not even close between them and the next team because Pete Carroll preaches that. He preaches cheat, basically cheat until you get caught. Toe the line until you get caught. How many rules changes, Al, have we had because of the Seahawks? You, you've got the Navarro Bowman rule. You've got the rule where Ian Williams, I don't know if you remember a couple of years back, 
Ian Williams had his ankle broken because the Seahawks oh, offensive sure. lineman yep. rolled up on the back of his leg as he was yep. engaged with another blocker. I mean, you, you've had so many different things that were put in just because of the Seahawks. So there's an extra added emphasis on, on illegal contact and, and defensive holding and all of those things. So it's just how they, it's, it's how they are. They're, they're taught to play like that. They're taught to toe the line of, of playing aggressive versus moving over that line. But th- what's even more, it, it was Quentin Jefferson, by the way, who, who went, almost went in the stands. And Sheldon Richardson got thrown out. So him and Jefferson got thrown out. Michael Bennett, I, I don't know if there's going to be a fine for what he did. What, at what point are you going to try to protect your players? Pete Carroll came up with this BS excuse about how Michael Bennett was trying to snatch the ball. Fine, you're trying to snatch the ball, but did you see how he twisted the center's leg after the play was over? Is that snatching the ball as well? I mean, I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just so over them. Like, I I don't really, I'm with you. Like, they're kind of an also ran. Like, it's just very, very frustrating to watch when, when a team continuously does all of this and, and really nothing really happens to them. They get fined. Like, every year they get fined uh, in OTAs to have, because they have contact practices. We're not allowed to have contact practices. They got fined, like, $150,000. $150,000. That's like chump change for Paul Allen. Paul right. Allen's a billionaire. He doesn't care. So it, it, it's just, it's just really, really, uh, that's what they do. And that's, they, they used to do that to the 49ers too. And the 49ers used to fall for it. And that's why they could never beat Seattle in Seattle is because they used to pull that crap up there. So they, they realize, I think Al, when it comes to the, the Seahawks is that they realize that they're without that defense, they're not good enough to win anything. They're not good enough right. to, to compete with the best teams. So they got to really resort to like, stupid cheap crap to actually try to level the playing field. So, uh, you know, that's all I'm going to say about them. You know, like I'm not, I don't, they're, they're just, they're, they're just an also man. I'm not even going to worry about them, but it's, it's like you said, it's kind of like the Yankees worrying about other teams and I'm not a Yankees fan, but by the way, man, you guys seriously pulled off a trade for John Carlos Stanton. How the heck did yeah, you do that? How great was that? I, how great I mean, was that? just hand them Derek, a trophy, Derek. man. Derek Jeter buys a team to uh, trade the best player back to the Yankees. You, you got to love that. I, I mean, love he's, that. <laughs> he's still helping the Yankees win World Series even after he's gone from New York. I can't believe he did that. Like, Look how smart the, the Yankees trade Castro, and then they, they trade Headley, which basically makes up the salary for Stanton this year. They just, they just do it right, man. They just do it right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're building another super team in New York. The Yankees are building another super team. Like Next thing you know, LeBron's going to be up there on the super team too, right? Because that's what he does too. <laughs> that's my that's my team. I heard they were interested in Machado today too, so we'll see how that goes. That's oh, my man. team, man. With my Yanks. Um, but getting back to yeah, what we, we were saying about Bennett getting suspended, he he should get suspended. I think he should get multiple games for deliberately trying to injure someone, just like Gronkowski should have gotten multiple games for it. Gronkowski got one game. Mm-hmm. Gronkowski got the same amount of games as Juju Smith Schuster got for what was a hit that was flagged, but it was a football hit. Yeah, Juju threw a block. Gronkowski dropped an elbow on a guy who was laying face first on the ground after the play was over on his head, yeah. dropped it on his head and they both get the same amount. Of, it's a joke. It's a mm-hmm. joke. The NFL really cares about player safety and things like that go down. Okay. You want to spend Juju for a game for that hit? We care about player safety. Fine. Okay, great. Suspend him. But if you spend him a game for that hit, you better sus- suspend Gronk and Bennett multiple games yeah. for what they did. Deliberately, just deliberately trying to hurt people, which yeah. leads me to the next thing I want to complain about. Um, my get off my lawn moment is the injuries this season have just been utterly ridiculous. And you see Carson Wentz go down and I hated, I hated to see that because the Eagles got, I don't care about the Eagles either way. 
but they're having a great season. Wentz is like elevating himself into one of the stars in the league, and he hurts his ACL. And now you, mm. he's the second quarter. We had Deshaun Watson, another guy who was who was jumping off the page, and people were excited about. And he hurts his ACL, and Aaron Rodgers has been hurt, and JJ Watt's been hurt, and, and Beckham's out, and you just all these guys are hurt. It's so bad for the league, and and, and football has been bad this year. The product on the field hasn't been great. Star players are out. I don't know what the answer is. I just hate to see it. And and tough luck for the Eagles fans, man. I feel for you. Um, Nick Foles is their backup, right? Yeah, is, Nick isn't Foles, it their backup yep. is? So yep. I mean, he's not with Jeff Fisher anymore. So who knows? Maybe he'll, he he can play pretty well. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. Just tough break. It's it's been a tough year with that stuff. It has, and taking it at even a, a step further back to a, a more serious thing, like Ryan Shazier in that game against the, the Bengals, yeah. like that was just yep. super scary. Like when I saw that, I'm like, man, that's, that's really, really bad. You could tell right away that he was, he was like super concerned about himself. And, and it was, it was just like, you could tell right away that something's wrong. And he's, he's had spinal surgery. And the update is that he's in, he's in a Pittsburgh area hospital. Uh, there's no really worried about, there's m- not much about like his, the movement in his legs and stuff. They're saying he's moving his legs a little bit, but man, Al, it was just that, that was a really bad one. Tom Savage, did you see Tom Savage stay in the game after after getting that hit by Elvis Dumerville and his hands twitching? Like, did you see that replay? It was straight scary. He was coughing up blood. Like, like it was I straight. Can't. He looked like he was having a seizure and like coughing up blood. Like that was straight scary, man. Like, yeah, really was. Scary. How do you how do you let a guy get go back in the game after that? And Bill Bill O'Brien was the coach for the Texans. His explanation his explanation of that was such BS. Like he said that, oh well, I didn't see the film of it. If I saw the, if if anybody saw the tape of that and saw how he was in distress, we wouldn't have let him go back. Well, how is it that you can get replay reviews five seconds after a play happens, but you can't right. see that? There's a guy that's dedicated to the replay booth that's up upstairs, sitting up there watching replays for every single team. There's 32 of these guys in the league. Nobody saw that. Like, come on, man. Like this, the 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 first thing is that the league has zero, zero care for the player safety. Like they say yeah, that, yeah, we care about player safety. They don't care. care. And it's, it's evident every single week there are guys getting hurt. The, the, like you said, the, the policing of the league is, is inconsistent. They don't get enough OTA time or practice time. They play Thursday night games and then Monday night games and then Sunday night. It's just the, the, the league has to take a long, hard look at how much they value their players. Look, it's a fight game. It's a violent game. I talked to Brian Jennings about this a couple of years ago and wrote an article about this very thing. I understand that football, there will be injuries in football. And, and, and I played football back in my, in my younger days. And I, I played it with the understanding that, hey, I, might, I may get hurt. So the, the players know the risks and they know about that, right? I'm not okay with people getting hurt, but we have to understand that it is a violent game. That being said, there's certain things that are going on in this league or that the league is doing that are egregious that, and that the players are doing that are egregious. Like, there's just no consistency in officiating. There's no consistency in penalties in terms of, of violations. There's no consistency in giving guys time off. Like, I, I, just, I just don't know, Al. I, this, the, the, we're getting to the point where I feel like the, the, the public is, is kind of getting oversaturated with too much football. And I think that having games uh, Thursday night games. I mean, I know I'm picking on that, but I hate that. I, I absolutely hate that idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that there should only be Thursday night games on Thanksgiving. That's when it was cool. That. Yeah. It, that's, you know, and that's when it was cool. And they used to have 
two games on Thanksgiving, not three, right? So it's like they're they're trying to monopolize the sports consuming market in in this country when there are three other major sports. So I know I'm kind of going along with this, but Al, this is something that I really, really feel passionately about, and and I'm I'm with you. There's there's so many injuries and so many things that that I feel like if players had just more time to prepare or take care of their bodies or prepare in training camp or OTAs or having contact earlier in the season that they would be able to avoid. It's just super, super unfortunate. Yeah. And we're, what, what's going to happen is we're headed towards either another striker lockout. It's going to happen. Probably can't continue like this between, you know, the discipline stuff with Roger Goodell, who somehow got a new freaking contract. Um, between that and between, like you said, because you you can you can fix stuff with the Thursday night games if you're going to have them. Just have the teams that plays on Thursday they they play after coming off a bye. You know yep. you can you can fix stuff up like that. And they don't they don't do because they don't care. They don't care. It's it's you know just disgusting, disgusting. And and you know the players have every right to sue and everything else when you see you know especially you know you talk to guys who've been in the league for twenty years and and they have a tough time getting their thoughts together. You know, it's a scary thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. Again, that's some of a couple of old guys here. Um, it's like <laughs> the old man podcast and we're complaining yeah. about everything, but you know, listen, we're being honest in, in, I don't think we're off base on anything that we're saying. So I don't know. I don't know. All right. Anyway, changing. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about um, next week's game. Like I said, the Niners are favored and I actually think I actually agree with it. I really do. And again, I'm trying not to be a homer here. I just, I feel good about what I'm seeing on the field. I think the Niners are going to win this game too. I do. And I think they're going to make it four out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really feel like, again, I don't know if I'm going to pick them for Jacksonville because Jacksonville is tough, but Tennessee on the road against this hot, confident 49ers team, I think the Niners are going to win again in this, this train is just going to keep on rolling. It's Jimmy Grapple's first start at home. So you better believe that the team will be hyped up. He'll be hyped up. The Tennessee Titans, like the, like I said, Mariota struggling to to get his receivers the ball. He's throwing a lot of picks. They only put up seven points at Arizona, who's also not a very good team. Blaine Gabbert, by the way, is is they're talking about giving him a contract extension. Isn't that the weirdest thing? I saw that. Yeah, I did like, see that. Uh, so <laughs> that's coaches the guy. Coaches like him for coaches like him for some reason. I I don't oh. know why. That that guy, that's your guy. Okay, all right, cool. I'm 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 cool with that. I'm as a as an opposing team. I'm totally fine with that. But as far as the Titans go, I think that they're they're not as good as the record shows. They did beat Seattle early, earlier this year, and Seattle is the measuring stick in the NFC West until somebody knocks them off. And I think that really this is this is kind of like another test for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? How is he going to play at home, where the confines are kind of friendlier? You can argue that there are times where teams play better on the road because they, they are able to bond closer together and, and kind of block out all the noise and be extra focused. So we'll see, we'll see how he plays under, under the, under the skies of, of Santa Clara and the soggy turf of Levi stadium. Yeah. And I I just, I I think that they're going to win. I think that this will be another game where Robbie gold is going to get a good workout. He was four for four last week, by the way, Robbie gold is a great season. Yeah. Great season. Pro Bowl. I mean, he's 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 got he's got to be locked for the Pro Bowl. Nine for nine in his last two games. So it's going to be another Robbie Gold kicking fest. I feel like, but I I think that you're going to see more of this offensive playbook opened up. You'll see a little bit more play action. You'll see more rollouts. You'll see more 
deep passes to Marquise Goodwin. I feel like they're getting more and more comfortable with each other. So I think the 49ers will win, and I think it's going to be another mid-20s game. It'll probably be like, I'm going to say 26 to 13. They'll double up. They'll double up the Titans. Yeah, I can see. I can see that. Like 24, 16, something, something along those lines. I don't think the Titans are going to put up a lot of points at all. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because the Niners are, you know, Niners are pretty good against the run and, and where they struggle is, is the pass and Mason Mariota's had a, had a tough year. So I, I see them holding the Titans down on the scoreboard and, and listen, Jimmy Garoppolo's moving the ball, you know, yeah. he's got 11 scoring drives, I think in two games. And if you count, I think it's 12, if you count, um, when he relieved Beathard at the end of the Seattle game. So Niners are going to move the ball. You can't, they've been doing it. Why, why would they do anything less? Now I know that Tennessee has a good pass rush. They sack Blaine Gabbard eight times, but again, let's see what what they do against quarterback who gets rid of the ball because Gabbard's a guy who holds the ball, you know. So let, let's see what they do against Garoppolo, and hopefully Trent Brown will suit up. Um, I, I did read somewhere that the Niners were not maybe not happy with him not playing this past week, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know what that's all about. So we'll see. Hopefully he can suit up and and, and that shoulder's good enough to go. Now in terms of game balls from last week, we skipped over that part. So. I'm going to say, I'm going to give my game ball and Marquise Gordon had a great game. He had a hundred yards receiving and he, he's on, he's on pace for a thousand yards. I believe he's, if he gets 80 yards in the, in his next three games, 80 yards each game in his next three games, he'll, he'll be just over a thousand, but I want to give my game ball to Ruben Foster and Ruben Foster is now leading the team in tackles very quietly. He's been he's been kind of the centerpiece of that defense and commanding that defense. Adrian Colbert had a great game as well, and, and I'm super excited about him. But Ruben Foster is, is kind of manning the middle, and he's playing sideline to sideline, and he's playing the run really well. He you can see him kind of coming into his own. He when he's able to to make it through a game and stay healthy, like he's he's arguably the best defensive player on the field. And the reason why it kind of gets overshadowed is because right now everybody's talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, but if there was no Jimmy Garoppolo, we'd be talking about Ruben Foster. So Ruben Foster is going to get my game ball. Um, honorable mention though, to, to Adrian Colbert, who looks every bit the part of a starting free safety. You, you talked about it a little bit earlier. I think that next season, Adrian Colbert will be your starting free safety. They're going to move Jimmy Ward back to corner. Akella Weatherspoon has been great in, in his limited time. He's been really, really good. So uh, I think that they're going to solidify that that defensive backfield, and we'll see about Eric Reed whether whether they decide to sign resign him or not. But nonetheless, it is Ruben Foster that gets my game ball for this week. Good pieces, Zane. There are good pieces everywhere on this team right now, and the mood is a change. in. so we'll see what happens this week, um, and let's see if the Niners can make it three in a row and four out of five, which would be amazing considering where they were. So until next week, this is Al Sacco for Zane Nakvi. Thanks everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.